Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. But you have to be comfortable. You have to be comfortable with change. And um, excuse me. That is something I I have always liked change. I've embraced it. I mm-hmm. feel like change is opportunity. So whenever mm-hmm. anything is going on and people come in and they say, "Oh, it's change. I don't like change. Mm-hmm. I don't want a different boss. I don't want I don't want my life to change." And mm-hmm. I am a big proponent of change breeds opportunity. And if things mm-hmm. are changing and you're good at what you do, whatever that is, that's going to provide you with opportunity. So how do you feel about change? Are you afraid of change or do you leap towards it? I'm Nikki Barua, your host for today's episode. Get ready to take a journey of twists and turns with our esteemed guest, Linda Gibson, Chairman and CEO of PGM Quantitative Solutions. Throughout her diverse career path, Linda learned the importance of taking risks, embracing change, and surrounding herself with talented individuals. Her story teaches us to take on new career opportunities, even when we may not feel fully prepared. So get ready to be motivated by Linda's insights on how to embrace discomfort and achieve lasting career success. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Linda. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. We're so thrilled to have you here today. Oh, thank you. I am thrilled to be here as well. I can't wait for our discussion. Well, uh, this is going to be a very inspiring episode because of uh, the incredible things you've achieved, and I'm excited for audience to get to know you. Uh, so let's start at the very beginning and tell us a little bit of your uh, formation story. Uh, how, you know, what was the uh, starting of your life and career? Well, it is a long and circuitous one and one full full of if you uh, have an opportunity, then you should seize it. Uh, so uh, it all started back uh, when I was a math major, and I had no idea what I was going to do out of college. So I, what does everyone do? They take the first job that's available. <laughs> and uh, the first job I interviewed for, and I ended up dropping into the asset management uh, industry, uh, totally by luck, didn't think that that was where I wanted to go. But uh, just wanted to dip my toe in it and, and just start. So uh, I did that. And I, I joined as a fund analyst, literally not knowing anything about it. Uh, yeah. But I was surrounded by lawyers. And I was surrounded by um, lawyers in my family, as well as lawyers uh, in the business. And so I kept thinking, well, maybe that is something that I'd want to do. And then uh, it just happened coincidentally that our business was branching off from a very larger company uh, and becoming its own business. And it was a startup. And a lot of the 40-somethings were saying, well, I might mm-hmm. take a break. I'm not sure I want to do that. And I thought, this is a great time for me to go to law school. So off I went mm-hmm. to law school, thought I wanted to be a litigator. Uh, you know, LA Law was on all the time. And I thought, <laughs> oh, that's going to be really interesting. So I dove deep into uh, sort of 
preparing myself for litigation. I worked for the prosecutor and the DAs, and I went into a full immersion type mm-hmm. of litigation experience in law school, uh, but realized when I got to trial, I really didn't like it. I was wanting my trials mm-hmm. to settle. I didn't enjoy it at all. I didn't think I'd be particularly good at it. So I pivoted it. I pivoted, sorry. And I ran into somebody that I worked with before I went to law school. And she said, you should really think about coming back. Uh, a lot of lawyers in our, in our business, and you should come back. So I went back to the company that I left for, you know, to go to law school for and uh, started there my legal career being basically a 40 act attorney, did that mm. for about 10 years. And I was provided with yet another opportunity. My boss said, Hey, how would you like to go help market this very interesting investment fund structure globally? Now I was in my 20s, I was pregnant. I had never left the country. Yeah. I didn't know the first thing about marketing, but I was an attorney and we had to get regulatory approval and you got to travel with the CEO all over the globe. And I said, well, hey, sign me up. Why, why don't I do that? I mean, sure. And this is an example for others yeah. of you don't always have to master something before you jump into it and say, mm-hmm. well, I'm not sure if I'll be good at that, but he thinks I'll be good at that or she thinks I'll be good at that. So mm-hmm. let me try. Mm. So off I went traveling the globe. And that was an amazing experience because we were marketing to C-suite executives that, you know, the likes of HSBC, JP Morgan, Citigroup, all the big companies. So I was able to interact with people. I was very lucky. I was able to interact with very, very senior C-suite people in my 20s. And that mm. gave me this this sense of confidence and comfort in that environment. So I always felt like I had a seat at the table and a voice, Mm. which was really refreshing for somebody my age. Uh, So I ended up doing that for quite a while. And uh, the company struggled a bit and it was at a turning point. And I thought, all right, this is the time in my career that I should go somewhere else. So I thought, big law firm. I haven't worked in a big law firm. And you know, a theme here too is I've always looked at my resume as a portfolio. So what haven't mm. I done yet? What 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 should I do next? What would help round out my resume? Uh, and I did that very early on when I was in college, making sure that I had not necessarily the right internships, but a diversity of internships to make me interesting. Uh, and so there, I started uh, thinking about what I was going to do next. And I thought I need a big law firm on my resume that will make sense. Interviewed for a big law firm job, actually got one uh, at Skadden. The same day I got an opportunity to be general counsel for UAM, which is a multi-boutique. Many don't know what that is, but it's a grouping of asset management firms all under mm-hmm. one company. And it was up for sale. I knew it was a risky opportunity. Do I take the risk and, and, and join that? Or do I do the big fancy law school, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, fancy law firm that's going to look good on my resume. Mm -hmm. And I kind of weighed it and said, you know what, or thought, if I was going to go to the law firm, that would be a stepping stone to be a general counsel. Why not just go in as general counsel? And if they get bought, I've got to believe in myself. I've got to believe that even in this time of uncertainty, that I can do it. Uh, So moving the story, story a little faster, did join UAM at the time, it did get bought. And all that did was provide me more and more opportunity. So I was uh, made general counsel at the head office, uh, overseeing a bunch of the different affiliates and being a general counsel, you get involved in everything. This is where you get Mm -hmm. to dip your toe literally in everything. You're in board meetings, you're in compensation discussions, you're equitizing firms, you're you're just getting to really do everything. And you've always got a seat at the table again, because you're always at the board meetings. 
with all of those senior people. So again, feeling comfortable in those mm-hmm. that senior environment. Uh, so did that for a while, and you know I had legal compliance, internal audit, all those really sexy uh, departments underneath me, and I just got like, oh, I, I want to do something more. I want to contribute. I want to be strategic, and so mm-hmm. I, so I thought. I want to do that, but do I have all the tools? And this is, again, where women often say, am I good enough? Can I do that? Mm-hmm. And, oh, wait, I want to make sure I've got all the tools. So yeah. I put my hand up and said I wanted to go to the Harvard Adma- Advanced Management Program just to make sure it's an executive type mm-hmm. of MBA. Mm-hmm. And my company was supportive. I went off. It's an amazing experience. But when I came back, I said, okay, now I'm ready for a business job. Do you have one? Mm-hmm. And it so happened the CEO of our company left a month later. I became the chief operating officer with oversight over 20 affiliated investment management firms at the time. And they moved me to sit on all their boards, again, interact with that C-suite, but also get to learn kind of everything about the business. Uh, and that was mm-hmm. a great experience. Fast forward ahead, that person, the CEO ended up leaving and I was made interim CEO for a period of time, which was fascinating and exciting and scary and all those things that you would think it would be. Uh, And once we hired the new CEO, we took the company public, which was very interesting. And then again, another opportunity came, something I had never done. Hey, I want you to be global head of distribution. I thought, oh my gosh, I've never sold anything. You're talking to a math major, lawyer, (laughs) operations person. What in the world are you thinking putting me in charge of global distribution? And they said, well, it's a global business development strategy. We're creating a centralized distribution unit, but I was getting paid based on sales. So I had to do it well. And another thing and piece of advice to, to young people, hire people that are better than you are. If you get a job that you're jumping into and you're not sure you know everything about it, clearly use your skills and your experience, but yeah. hire people that are smarter than you are and that can fill those gaps. So I hired a great team of people. We were wildly successful uh, and got to do that for about seven years. And then I pivoted again. Uh, the company was going through structural change that I wasn't necessarily aligned with. Uh, mm-hmm. So I moved and I got to join uh, PGM, which is another multi-boutique, but this time I joined an investment management firm. So I, I joined the quantitative uh, and multi-asset solutions group of PGM and mm-hmm. joined as COO. And then opportunistically, the CEO uh, separated from the company uh, two years in and I became the CEO. And it's just been great because a little bit of all the opportunity that I've had has given me multiple different experiences. So I was able to oversee finance and distribution and legal and compliance and all of Mm. the different elements. The irony is I'm the CEO of an asset management firm and I didn't come up on the investment side of the business. Mm. So that is the one element that I don't have. So what did I do? I hired people. I have a CIO that is literally a rocket scientist. So it's it's one of those things. And, and you know, I learn from him every day. So uh, mm-hmm. that's that's my story to date, which is pretty much all around opportunity. I would say there's some luck involved. Uh, I think there's mm-hmm. a quote around there, something about uh, luck is when planning meets opportunity, something like yeah. that. Uh, and that's pretty yeah. much been a, a lot of my life or my professional life story. 
Yeah, it's fascinating how the through line is uh, really comes through, like even though there's, uh, you know, such a winding journey to where you are today, um, uh, the takeaways for people listening is really look at your experience as a portfolio and what are the gaps um, to fill and then seek out those opportunities and experiences with intention. Um, but when those opportunities appear, take the risk, even if you don't feel you're ready, you know, raise your hand, take the risk and leap into that. Because when you do, you get the exposure and the, uh, you know, opportunity to develop yourself at the next level and get to uh, get a seat at the table where you may not feel you're ready, but that elevates you and prepares you for the next stage. So I think that um, really uh, encapsulates a lot of what you've shared through all of these diverse experiences. And it shows that when you take risk, um, your success multiplies in proportion to the risk taking. Um, but in that, I have a follow-up question for you because this is where we hear so often from women that we work with about the fear of switching lanes. You've done that successfully many, many times to go from being a math major to law to, you know, being on the a GC to, you know, being on the business and operations to distribution all over. Um, the fear of switching lanes comes from how, how do I give up what I have built so much success in and have confidence in and develop competencies in to go into something that I don't know uh, don't have enough proof yet whether I, you know I'll be successful and the fear tends to be greater when they're more experienced less so the early stages more like now I've got this repertoire for 10 15 years do I really want to risk that how would you how have you framed that for yourself and what advice would you give well you have to believe in yourself so when I left my job to go to Harvard for eight to ten weeks I really mm -hmm. thought, okay, if I do this, they could, you know, they've got to spend that time and somebody's got to take my job. What if I go back and I don't have it? But it, mm -hmm. it's really believing in yourself and also understanding that failures are part of success. Failures are part of our DNA. They're, they're what makes us stronger. So it, it's, it's something that people have to sort of take the steps, learn from mistakes or failures, and then apply what they've learned to the next thing. But I think there's a self-awareness element too, mm -hmm. because there is, uh, it can be a long way down. So mm -hmm. to be self-aware enough that you can do it, but to also realize, you know, the, the distribution opportunity was an interesting one because I really didn't want it. But mm -hmm. I knew I was working for a business and the CEO wanted it and he wanted me to, and he didn't want a chief operating officer. So I could have chosen not to do it, but that meant I would have had to get another job because I, Mm -hmm. I couldn't convince him that he wanted that he needed a COO and he didn't need a uh, head of global distribution. So instead, I thought, okay, the business needs me to do this. They believe in me, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to apply the skills that I have to it and learn it. Mm -hmm. But there are also times that I've talked to people where uh, or mentored people where they've talked about different opportunities, and we've had to be really honest with whether it's mm -hmm. the right opportunity because if it's the wrong opportunity it can really harm you but i've got two mm -hmm. different examples where i worked with two different women where they came in and they were uh not they were just unsettled in their job they had a lot mm -hmm. of experience had a lot of different things to do with but they were bored and they were saying you know i mm -hmm. want a little bit more so one we talked 
identified all her skill set and then identified another area in the company. And she's been wildly successful in this other area. She was going on maternity leave. She came back. She came into the other position and she's done really, really well. This other woman, we moved into her into another position and she didn't like it. She wanted to go back to where she was comfortable. And often two people say, well, I don't want to work for someone else. I'm comfortable working with so-and-so. I would never want to go work for this other person. And I've constantly said to people, don't get too comfortable with your boss because you're answering each mm. other's questions. I mean, you're sorry, you're answering for each other. You're ordering food for each other and you're not learning. I mean, life is all about mm. learning new things and surrounding you yourself with diverse and interesting and smart people. And if you're constantly working for the same person, you're not learning and growing. Mm. So if you, you know, moving to another boss, good or bad, you learn from each one in different ways. You apply things you think are good, and then you dismiss things that that you don't think are good. Mm -hmm. But it enables you to learn more and more. I mean, I've had so many, I think when I joined uh, my previous firm, I mean, I had five CEOs within like three years or something that I worked for. Uh, And I learned from each and every one of them. And I've taken a bit of each of every one of them into my management style. So Mm -hmm. I I would encourage anyone that's just too comfortable, push yourself, Mm -hmm. get a little uncomfortable, embrace the discomfort. That that's a um, really wonderful perspective about don't get comfortable with your boss or with your peers. We don't hear that spoken about quite as often, but I've seen that in my own career. There were times where I'd work with the same person for a long time. And then you do, there's a shorthand that comes uh, that makes things easier, but the loss of learning, um, you know, can really slow down your career. So that's really a valuable perspective of how you can challenge yourself with new environments and new people as well in your uh, close circle. Um, you talked about the two examples of individuals of repotting them, if you will, in the right areas. Um, some of that is self-awareness of knowing your own s- strengths and superpowers and all of that, but it's also for the manager to know kind of where they uh, belong. What has helped you kind of spot that unique uh, value proposition of the individual to spot that on your team to say, I think this person is going to be great here. Or, you know, for that person to say, you know, it's a completely different area, or even in your own case to go into distribution from operations. Like what was it that kind of helped you believe that you could, but also for your boss to know you could? I think more senior people have to have their eyes wide open. So at Pigeon Quant, which is the company that I'm the CEO of currently, we spend a lot of time looking at talent and talking about talent. So we'll talk about our top talent at least once a year and talk about who those high potentials are for whatever reason they are. But I would encourage people that are in management to look for signs of their talent and and continually look to make sure that they're being challenged and developed. And we are constantly among our management team spotting talent. And we have different people say, I'd love him to come or her to come work in our department. And Mm -hmm. you want to make sure that uh, you don't get in the way of that. So if someone's looking for talent that you have, Mm -hmm. really be open-minded about, is this a good opportunity for them? Uh, Sometimes it, it it's just a matter of sitting down and talking about it and getting to know mm-hmm. somebody. I mean, uh, the examples that I gave, I had spent a lot of time talking to this woman who was a lawyer and she had operational experience, she had project management experience, she had all of these different elements and we were building out our ESG. 
business. And we thought, I thought she's perfect for this. And not only is she perfect for this, but it's perfect for her because where she was mm. in her career, going on maternity leave and coming back, I said, and at the point she was in her career, I said, this has a great runway ahead of it. ESG mm. is just, it was just starting out at the time. And this was, I think, three years ago. And mm. I said, you know, and, and then I would help her look at all the opportunities. And that's what the CEO did with me mm. when we talked about this global distribution job. Yes, I had never sold and I don't like selling anything at all. Uh, I don't mm. even like raising money for my college. Uh, but in it's one of those things that we positioned it and framed it differently. I said, why do you think I would be good at this? Mm-hmm. And he said, because the affiliates know you and trust you, you've built relationships, you're a good business mm-hmm. person, you can create one, you can get their trust and confidence Two, you can get a team that they will lean into and support. And that will help that that's three quarters of what you need to be successful mm-hmm. in the role. You Linda don't have to go out on the road and sell. And, it, it, it was something that I was taken back and I had to think about it mm. differently. Uh, it was also the first time in my career that I was actually compensated based on sales. And that's mm-hmm. petrifying. I mean, you get used to <laughs> yeah. compensation that's reliable. And then to mm-hmm. say, all right, I'm eating what I'm cooking or not, or starving if I don't mm-hmm. cook well. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's, that's a little unsettling. Uh, but I had yeah. to, again, believe in myself and believe that I could do it. And I've also had a history where I haven't had a lot of failure in my professional career. So mm-hmm. I felt, okay, if he believes I can do this, I'm going to believe that I can do this. And, mm. and it so happened that it worked out, which is great, but it could have gone yeah. the other way. And then it yeah. would have been a learning experience, in which case I would have pivoted back into um, a, a different area. But you have to be comfortable. Yeah. You have to be comfortable yeah. with change. And um, excuse me, that is something I, I have always liked change. I've embraced it. I mm-hmm. feel like change is opportunity. So whenever mm-hmm. anything is going on and people come in and they say, oh, it's change. I don't like change. Mm-hmm. I don't want a different boss. I don't want, I don't want my life to change. And mm-hmm. I am a big proponent of change breeds opportunity. And if mm-hmm. things are changing and you're good at what you do, whatever that is, that's going to provide you with opportunity. So yeah. Think about it positively. I'm very much of a glass half full person. And if somebody mm-hmm. comes to me telling me the sky is falling, I spend a lot of time turning that around and say, let's just think about it differently. Let's think mm-hmm. about it in a positive way. What are the great things that could come out of this? Uh, or if people assume negative intentions of other people, they'll come in my office and they'll say, so-and-so did this. I can't believe they did that for X, Y, and Z. So if you do you think you might have misinterpreted their actions? I mean, you know them. You know what their intentions are. Let's think about it as though you're misinterpreting, they've got great intentions, and then go sit down and talk to them and ask them. So it's, it's about getting people comfortable with change and uh, having the conversations. So you, spending time listening to people, being, and also listening back, so being self-aware, mm-hmm. that matters a lot. So people do a lot of talking. They don't do a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. The other thing they don't like to do is have difficult conversations. Uh, someone said to me once that you're one of the only people I know that can give me critical feedback and I take it positively. Uh, so I give a lot of transparent, real-time feedback, but with 
the intention to help that to make that person mm. better and to give them information that is going to make them better. So if I come out of a meeting with somebody and either I think they don't do well or several people say, hey, that person really bombed that meeting. And if the mm-hmm. person doesn't know it, I will let them know, not in a way to discourage them or to kick them while they're down, but to say, hey, how did you think that meeting went? And give them some advice, some tools to help them not do the same thing in the next mm-hmm. meeting. So so to help develop them and give them mm-hmm. some various tools and also to, to just give them comfort that, hey, it happens to everyone. It happens mm-hmm. to me. You know, this happens. Let, let's just try to figure out. So why did this happen? Let's think about why it happened. And was it preparation? Was it you didn't get enough sleep? Let's just try to identify it. So then next time they're in the same position, they can reflect and say, oh, mm. this happened before. I'm going to make sure before I go to a meeting, I didn't have five cups of coffee and didn't eat anything. I'm going to make sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I do that when I speak. There have been times that I've been public speaking and I didn't have breakfast and I had two cups of coffee and I'm on a stage doing this and you can't stop it. So you learn from that and you say, okay, next yeah. time, Mm-hmm. I'm going to have a muffin, <laughs> skip the coffee, and make sure I'm well fed before I speak to people. So it, there's yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you pointed out kind of uh, the setbacks that become learning opportunities in each of those moments. Uh, but we all go through fears and doubts and limiting beliefs, um, you know, from time to time. What specific ways have you uh, learn to overcome those. We each have our own techniques and strategies of how to kind of change the state. And like, you know, that it could be that moment where you're going up on stage or maybe it's an important negotiation or a board meeting, a difficult conversation. Uh, What has worked for you? I think Eleanor Roosevelt said, do something that scares you every day. Uh, And and I, and I do live by that uh, even I love the ocean. It calms me. I, I live near it, love everything about it, but I don't like being underwater. So, so snorkeling scares me. I do mm. it anyway. Whenever I'm on vacation, I do it because I want to overcome that fear. I don't want to be somebody that's afraid of things, especially things that are, are irrational fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, fears of public speaking and, and other things. I've had to spend, I've spent a lot of time working on public speaking because I did, I started to get, if I had to public speak, I'd get heart palpitations, my leg would shake, different things would happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, one is preparing, making sure, but mm-hmm. also looking at things differently. I'm also a huge proponent of the, the, the superwoman power pose, the Amy Cuddy <laughs> yeah. head talk yeah. there, stand and be big and breathe yeah. before you go out and you present. Uh, yeah. So there are different things that, you know, if you are afraid to do something, but also some a lot of the time people are afraid to have difficult conversations. And, and mm-hmm. that's something that I've never understood because people know when you're afraid to have difficult conversations and either they take advantage of you or... I don't know. I, I just believe it weakens you where mm-hmm. I dive into them because if you're making, if you're having a difficult conversation, you're doing it for the right reason. Mm-hmm. And if you just spend the time articulating why you're doing it, why it's good for the company, what the positive elements are for the person. And I'll even mm-hmm. take this to an extreme. I have fired three different people who were worked very, very closely with me and I had a very open conversation with how they weren't performing well, 
let's talk about why they're not performing well. Well, it turns out it wasn't a job they liked. They weren't good at it. They Mm -hmm. didn't want to do it. Their skill set didn't fit it. And somebody actually stopped me on the street, I think it was seven years later, and said, oh my gosh, I've lost touch with you. I think about you so often because you were the person that you firing me made me realize that I could do so much more. This person was an admin and they are they now have a very successful job and they feel great about it. But at the time, they were basically arguing me with me about why they were getting fired. And <laughs> I was trying to explain, this is not the job for you. This is clearly not the job for you. You're not succeeding. It's not working for anyone. Um, think about what you're really good at. Uh, so mm-hmm. there, there are sort of a lot of difficult conversations like that. There's another conversation I had with a colleague who was an alcoholic and he was drinking mm-hmm. at the office. And I had to have a very transparent and difficult conversation with him about what it was doing to him, what it was doing in the workplace, and that I was very aware uh, he left that day, went into rehab, and the statistics on this are, are, are so bad with respect to going to rehab for the first time. He's, he actually came back and gave me his five-year sobriety pin, and he uh, basically attributes his sobriety to me, which is, was really touching. Wow. But I didn't send him to HR. I didn't say, oh, I don't want to have this difficult conversation because it's uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. It was... Mm-hmm. I care about this person. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to get fired. I know they're struggling. And how can we mm-hmm. have an open, candid conversation about it? And then the company gratefully got him the help he needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, this is this is a one in millions story, but it worked yeah. out. And I, I, I do think that if you spend the time uh, being authentic and building trust, that people will listen to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. it's, uh, you know, rooted in care and compassion and kindness. Uh, you know, someone, uh, I heard someone say, you can say anything as long as it's said in a way that the other person can hear it. And it, it sounds like that's exactly how you've delivered the messages, which is why it's not only been heard, but acted upon, and it's actually transformed their lives and careers. And those are Yeah, absolutely. Stories. Yeah. And I have a very direct personality. So uh, if you think about sort of my background, my analytical problem solving background, I'm Mm -hmm. also in personality tests, the sort of the the driver um, in insights discover I'm the fiery red, which means be bright, be brief and be gone. It's a very (laughs) um, results oriented person. And I tend because again, I wasn't that English major. So my emails are very short. So if you think smart brevity, the book that talks about being short and getting Mm -hmm. attention quickly, you rarely get a long email from me. But what I've had to learn and develop is that that can be off-putting to people because they think either I'm yelling at them through email mm-hmm. or I'm being too brief and I'm, I'm not caring about their family. So I spend a lot of time sort of wrapping my harder skills with mm. the softer, empathetic mm. side. Uh, and I, I do believe, and I've been thinking about it a lot, it was um, a little bit in connection with the speech that I did last week where I was talking about what are women you know, now we're diving into women, but what are women's superpowers? And Mm -hmm. a lot of my success I attribute to EQ versus IQ. Uh, So Mm. a lot of people think you've got to be the smartest one in the room. Trust me, you you don't. And EQ goes a really, really long way. And, And I think women's softer skills, particularly in this current environment, uh, I think it's 
a bit of a trifecta of opportunity mm-hmm. for women because you have the everyone wants women in high position. So you've got opportunity. Hybrid allows you flexibility. And then mm-hmm. this new technology era where people are hybrid and removed, that women's softer skills, they should lean into and embrace because they mm-hmm. connect better. You know, they, 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 they tend to have more empathy and they can use those softer mm-hmm. skills. And especially, you know, this happens a lot too in negotiation. Uh, I am much more uh, sort of aligned with the book never split the difference. Uh, yeah. And, and that is because you're being empathetic, you're listening to the other side, you're understanding what they want. It's not all about winning. It's about understanding, seeing things through their eyes, listening, all of that, those type of softer skills. And in my job, in my entire career, I've negotiated or influenced people every single day, whether it's for my own career or for advocating for others. And, you know, as I, I think about sort of what makes me successful, it's Mm-hmm. wrapping those harder skills with those softer skills and don't try to 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 be that hard-nosed uh, sort of uh characteristically male type yeah. of personality what if you knew exactly where to focus to go further faster imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results and advance Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. So um, that's a good segue for us to talk about uh, the future. Um, you alluded to that in terms of kind of where the world is headed and the opportunities emerging in a tech-driven world where um, in a world where we might be competing with robots, our naked human skills make us stand out far more. Uh, creativity and compassion and connection and uh, complex problem solving. Um Share uh, your perspective on what you see as you look out to the next decade in in general in the world and and, uh, where you see the opportunities for women and their careers. I don't think it's changed that much. I I would embrace technology. I mean, AI is moving fast. Technology is moving fast. I would look out into the future and think about what career opportunities you have. It's a little bit of of talking to that woman about ESG, seeing that Mm -hmm. the train was heading in that direction. And that would be a great opportunity uh, for somebody to move into that field. There are just, there are so many. uh, I think there will always be a need for people in management roles. Again, those human Mm -hmm. characteristics are important, but I would also embrace technology, make sure you understand Mm -hmm. it, make sure you utilize it. So, I mean, you guys use a lot, utilize it for your platform, getting on the Mm -hmm. various social media platforms, understanding it, using them to your benefit, whether you're looking for a job, whether you're building your own personal brand, Mm -hmm. uh, or whether you're just connecting with people. I mean, connecting and building relationships is Mm -hmm. one of the most important things you can do to 
well, one, be happy and as well as succeed, you know, surround mm-hmm. yourself by diverse, interesting people in work or in your personal life. But you mm-hmm. can use technology to do that too and, and to connect and, and don't get stuck in your own way. So one thing that I noticed during COVID, I wasn't connecting with people in the same way. I wasn't running into them in the halls. I wasn't talking to them mm-hmm. in the kitchen. So I started a, it's a little bit like carpool karaoke without the singing because I have a horrible, horrible voice. But I take my dog to a dog park in the morning, not a dog park, but to go walk with my sister. Mm -hmm. And my dog's in the car and I do a lot of my strategic thinking while I'm driving. It was 40 Mm -hmm. minutes away during COVID. And so I started doing these little videos where I put my camera on the dashboard and I would just give them a top of mind. I wouldn't rehearse it. I wouldn't um, rewind it and redo it. It it was, I often Mm. had no makeup on. I was just embraced the moment and said, this is what I'm thinking about this week. This is what I'm doing. This is what the management team's doing. This is what I'm thinking about. Two minute videos and put it onto a team's uh, site. And that way anyone could pull it up and they get a glimpse of, me, my dog, my home life a little bit, but it was more about out of sight. If, if I'm out of sight, yeah. I'm out of mind, uh, which yeah. is actually reminding me I need to do another one of those videos. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really interesting way to connect. So that's, yeah. that's also very uh, authentic because it, you know, is it, really not a rehearsed scripted uh, speech. It's more what's top of mind in the everyday life. And uh, it allows people to feel more intimate and connected in a time when everybody was highly disconnected. Yeah, going down a sort of a, a different path from this, but a related one and, and being authentic. The other thing that I, I did very early on, people weren't putting their cameras on because they didn't want to put mm. their makeup on and do their hair. Yeah. And, and I purposely did a video that said, I don't have any makeup on. I don't have my hair done. I'm in sweats. And this is the way you're going to see me. I want to see your face. I don't care if you're Baby's in your lap, your dog's behind you, but let's mm-hmm. just see each other. And I wanted, I, I set a tone of comfort for everyone else to mm-hmm. make sure that they didn't feel like, oh, if they're having a meeting with me, they need to spend yeah. an extra 20 minutes a day or an hour to, to make themselves look a certain way. And yeah. I think that went a long way as well. Yeah. That's, um, you know, and with, the shift since, um, you know, uh, those days where we were all, you know, all locked up at home. Uh, what's your perspective on the big debate between return to work, hybrid or fully remote? And where do you see it playing out? Or at least for your organization, what's your uh, perspective on that? We're hybrid, which I think is the best of both worlds. So right now we are three days a week, which is um, aligned with our parent company, PGM and uh, Prudential. So we're three days a week. And it's nice because we can get together to collaborate. We try Mm -hmm. to have the meetings where we're collaborating and we're trying to interact on those days. And then the other days you can do your head down work. We've gotten very Mm -hmm. used to teams and uh, interacting uh, by video, but at the same time, it's very nice to see each other. Uh, Different people Mm -hmm. have different opinions. Uh, I was listening to somebody last week who was saying that they believe in hybrid all the time. And then others say, nope, I believe in being in person all the time. I do think there is a cultural element. And Mm -hmm. if people are on teams, I think it's okay if they're interacting. But when you get 
too much email traffic, it gets heated and misinterpreted. And Mm. I have constantly said to people, pick up the phone. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I'll pick up the phone because there are sometimes that there'll be, you know, an email trail of six different people all pining on a on the same Mm -hmm. issue and I get lost in it and you get lost in the nuance of it. Mm -hmm. So you just get everyone on the phone and talk about it. So I, so I do think the zoom and the teams and the video, it helps, but -hmm. it's not perfect. The other thing it makes it really hard. It reminds me of when uh, I did work at that first company and I worked at home one day a week and I felt like I was never off. I felt like I was Mm. constantly trying to deal with the home life and the work life, and you've got calls at night, you've got calls in the morning, and there's no turnoff mechanism. And so I've been Mm -hmm. fairly careful. I'm not perfect, but respecting people's time. Now, I did have groups. We we have a finance team, a lot of younger people on the finance team with young kids. They decided among themselves that we're going to get our kids to bed. Let's get on a call at 10 p.m. And, Mm -hmm. but they decided that collectively that it worked for them. So I think one of the benefits of the hybrid work environment, which I said earlier, is much more helpful to women, families with Mm -hmm. young children, families that have elder care, even Mm -hmm. people that, that adopted the COVID dog that Mm -hmm. they now have to take care of. I mean, the poor pets as we come back to, to work. So I'm very fortunate. I have a husband who was in education very early on in the kids' lives, but we have two children, and he stayed at home, and he's been unbelievably supportive. And I could not do what I do without mm-hmm. him staying at home, and uh, it's worked really well for us. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know there are unique challenges uh, and new constructs of management and leadership and teamwork that are emerging in this environment. And, um, you know, one of the things that people have to be particularly uh, conscientious about, but also reimagine is how do careers develop in this environment? You know, the apprenticeship culture that a lot of us grew up with, uh, where you had managers and mentors and peers kind of helping you learn your craft because you're in the same place all the time, you know, is not quite the same anymore. And in some places where it's fully remote, it's even more um, uh, lost. And and so it's reimagining what does that look like? And how do you develop talent? How do you advance in your career? How do you build the social capital at work? Uh, what advice would you give around those areas in terms of the career development for the new age, if you will, in this context? What are the fundamentals that impact careers to not lose, but perhaps reimagine differently? One, if they're communicating virtually, turn on your camera and be present. So yeah. absolutely do that. If you do have hybrid, go in, be there when the senior people are in there, be there when your colleagues are in there. Uh, I've seen more instances of that junior person that's just in the office and the CEO happens to be in the office every day, he or she is there. You get to know each other. You see them in the halls, you see them at the coffee, you just see them and interact. And by doing so, that senior person will be more aware of you, what what your mm-hmm. likes, dislikes, what your skills are. They'll often correspond with you daily or every time they see you and learn more and more about you. And that just opens those doors to opportunity. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, something I did early in my career is uh, whomever I worked for, I would always read. So my, 
one of my bosses always came in at seven, actually two of them always came in at seven. And I would make sure that I was in the office at that time because it was a, it was a Mm. slow time. And often I swing by and just put my head in and say, hello. And then you read them. Are they the type of person that they come in early and they want that time to get through their inbox or they want, are they the person that wants to chit chat with you? And I happen to have two bosses that were very happy to have a five, 10 minute conversation in the morning. And I got to know them better that way. I would pay attention to see if I'm losing. You've got to always pay attention. If you're losing them, never, ever follow your boss to the elevator at 5 p.m. when they're going home to get home to their wife and kids or husband and kids. That is a bad idea because no one wants to talk to you when they're rushing out. But again, this self-awareness, uh, you know, I'm somebody mm-hmm. that if I'm in at seven, I actually don't want to chit chat because I'm trying to get my work done. So I, I want to come in and heads down, do work, but just pay attention. And, and again, mm-hmm. you can do that in Zoom too. And you can see if you're losing somebody, but mm-hmm. try to be mindful of what your colleagues' interests are, what your boss's interests are. Make sure that you subtly weave into conversations things that are important to you. And mm. it, it, it's a subtle art of selling yourself. And it, it's more mm. about just making sure that you uh, make others aware of what your skills are. And again, in a very soft, understated way, uh, but you can, you can do it. That's that's great advice, um, you know, and really rethinking and reimagining how you can build the same kind of social capital and advocacy and get the sponsors who open doors for you, regardless of the context of what your workplace now looks like and what your work environment may have evolved. Uh, with that, let's uh, transition to the lightning round questions. Uh, I'm excited to hear your answers for this. Uh, so the first one, uh, what book has greatly influenced you? So I don't, I'm one of those people that I don't have a favorite book. Uh, I read a lot of historical nonfiction to just for diversity and learning about different Mm -hmm. things, but I have read a lot of leadership books. And the one that was most compelling to me recently is uh, No Bullshit Leadership by Martin Moore. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's just, often you read leadership books and you feel like you could write them yourself, Uh, (laughs) And you feel as though you don't learn anything from them. This one, yeah. I learned several things. Uh, mm. It's about excellence, not per- perfection. It is just one example. It's about respect, not popularity. There are a couple little tidbits in there that are really interesting. Uh, you know, when I you know talk about one of the sort of best or, or most popular leadership books for women was Lean In. I didn't Mm -hmm. need to read that to learn how to lean in. I naturally lean in. But what I did learn from that is there are people that really, really don't want to lean in. So it made Mm. me more self-aware and more aware of others and what their preferences are. So it opened my mind uh, to that. Well, I have not read that book. So I'm looking forward to uh, reading that. Thank you for the recommendation. Uh, Let's go on to the next question. What is your favorite inspiring quote or saying? Everything happens for a reason. I truly, mm. truly believe that. Uh, and I, I live by it. Love that. What is uh, one word that you use to describe yourself? Like an alter ego or a moniker? Even-tempered. People, mm. uh, that's, it, it's something that people constantly say to me that I have a very, very calm, neutral personality. Mm. They can say your house is on fire and I'll say, okay. <laughs> 
what do I have to do next? And, and I do think that that has helped me in my career yeah. because I don't yeah. have a volatile personality. You can say, oh my gosh, this horrible thing just happened you know, work-wise and say, okay, let's calm down. Let, let's figure out how to mm-hmm. handle it and how, what are we going to do? So I can mm-hmm. encourage people to, to just take a breath. Uh, I find mm-hmm. that, that, I mean, it comes naturally to me, but I do think it's helpful. Yeah. Yep. What is that one change, whether it's a habit or behavior or action that you implemented that made your life better? I prioritized relaxation. So I believe mm-hmm. in work hard, relax hard. So I do definitely take time to turn it all off and to relax. I get eight hours of sleep at night if I can. If I can't, I bank it. So I get extra sleep on the weekends. Uh, and mm-hmm. I spend time for me. Uh, I mean, this morning I got up and I spent half an hour in a sauna and then a steam room and then I worked out and then I came to work. And uh, cold plunging is my newest thing too. It's, mm, it's, it's yes. a new craze, uh, but I am embracing it and I, I feel great. I didn't get to do that today because I'm in London yeah. at our office here, but I, I try to do that as often as I can. Very cool. All right. And then finally, what power song would you want playing as you walk out onto a stage? Well, I have to go. Well, there, there's. This Girl is on Fire is a great power song because it just lifts you up and yeah. it's a great song. So I'd love that to be playing. Uh, there's another song that that growing up, believe it or not, Helen Reddy was played a lot in my house, Carpenters, that mm. kind of thing. I mm. Am Woman is a song that resonated with me very, very early on, the lyrics of it. And uh, it's a, a bit of an odd story, but for some reason, it was a bit like the power posing before every oh. math exam in college I would blare that song in my, at the time, whatever the headphones were when I was in college, mm-hmm. I would blare it. And I still, if I'm nervous going onto a stage or if I'm worried about a presentation, I will do a power pose and then I will stick that song on and it just motivates me. I'm not sure it's a stage, walk across the stage yeah. motivating song, but it motivates me and it has um, personal history for me. Uh, that's such a great story. Thanks for sharing that. I love it. We'll have to add that uh, song to uh, your podcast episode now. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been so great, Linda. Thank you for taking the time to be uh, on the Beyond Barriers podcast. Um, I also want to thank you for your very inspiring leadership and uh, what you represent in the industry and in the world of leaders in general. And also want to commend you for, um, you know, uh, really leading uh, the efforts in terms of DEI and proud, you know, sharing the data right on your website. Not many companies do that. And, you know, what you uh, don't measure, you can improve. And uh, it shows the kind of leader that you are. And uh, I'm so excited for our audience to get to know you better. And uh, we'll be cheering you on for your continued successes. Uh, Thank you again for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Hopefully uh, my guidance and advice will help someone. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there, and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.